0: The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Hector Nino. Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome to today's show of The Heart of Art. First of all, I want to thank everyone who is listening right now. Thank you for tuning in for my first episode ever. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to see all the different types of artists that we will be talking to. I am sure that you guys will learn so much from them, and we'll even grow a little more curious about the artists here in the Brazos Valley. You'll see that we have a lot of variety of different types of art, Um, But before we start uh, with our guests, I would like to introduce myself a little bit so that you guys can get to know who I am a little bit. Um, So my name is Hector Nino, and I moved to College Station in 2017. At A&M, I majored in English with a concentration in literature and film, uh, and I also received a minor with a concentration in media studies. So... And it's actually a funny story because I was actually a pre-med student when I first got here Uh, and I and I was anxious to make some extra money. So I got a student worker position here at KMU. What are the odds? Uh, And so, yeah, I I got this position. I started working in master control and yeah, I've kind of been helping all around the station uh, itself and. I've been in reception. I've been, well, now I'm in radio that, uh, I'm a traffic director. Um, so yeah, I've been all over the station and I'm so grateful for KMU for everything that it has provided for me. Um, it actually was the reason why I decided to change my career. Uh, I realized I was not doing pre-med for the right reasons and, and yeah, I decided to take a leap of faith and I, I took it and I'm here and I do not regret a single thing. Um, so yeah, that's how I came up here to KMU. Uh, and a little bit of my art background, um, I am very involved in theater uh, because it involves three of my favorite things, which is acting, dancing, and singing. Um, I was actually in an cappella group at A&M, uh, shout out to Apotheosis. Um, yes, they were... The, the only and best all-male a cappella here at A&M, and that's what we like to say at least. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I decided to go into English with a concentration in literature and film uh, because of my love for cinema, um, and that was something that was inculcated a lot into me uh, by my family. Uh, we would sit in the couch on Saturdays for the full day, just watching movies and shows, anything that caught our attention really, and... This is really where uh, my love for film began. Um, and now I'm just excited to be part of the industry. You know, I have my own show here, The Heart of Art. I'm so excited for you guys to, to tune in. Uh, we will be having uh, weekly shows, uh, Wednesdays at 7 p.m., so make sure you tune in for those. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to see what this show has in store for you. Uh, today we will be talking to two people. Our first guest will be Liz Appleby, who is actually the Assistant Director of Forsyth Exhibition and Research Inquiries. Uh, We're going to have a really cool conversation about the 19th century decorative arts. Um, We had a great time. And then our second guest is Adrian Dobson, who is currently the Executive Director for The Theatre Company. And yeah, hope you enjoy the show. Hello and good evening. Today in the studio we have Elizabeth Appleby, but she likes going by Liz. Yes. (laughs) And she is currently the Assistant Director at Forsyth Exhibition and Research Inquiries. Hello, how are you today? I'm fine, great to be here. Awesome, okay, well, we wanted to start off a little bit about you and your personal background. Sure. And where your love for art began. (laughs) So yeah, can you tell us where you're from?
1: I originally am from actually Wilmington, Delaware. Oddly enough.
0: (laughs) That's a long long way from here. A
1: long way from here. My dad was in oil, so we moved around a lot. And, of course, one of the stops along the way was in Houston. And a lot of my family is also in oil, so we're really more of a Houston family. So a lot of them are here, and a lot of them went to Texas A&M, but... Texas a and has never really been a stronghold for the arts, so I kind of um, unfortunately missed out on the undergraduate and graduate experience at A&M.
0: Right. Okay. Well, we're glad to have you. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So your love for art, did it begin when you were a child? Yes. Or, yes? Um, my mother
1: was an artist, and she actually did cards for Hallmark. Um, oddly wow. enough, if anyone has ever seen those really, um, she she would even describe them as awful. Betsy Clark, which is kind of very cutesy and Holly Hobby-ish. Um, she was in charge of doing a lot of that work, um, but it paid for my dad going through law school, so she was very happy to do it. Uh-huh. Um, but it, 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 being in an artistic household really kind of spurred my interest in art. She would take me to museums, and I just really grew into that. I loved it. I unfortunately can't do it very well myself, Oh. So, uh, I, I I had an appreciation for the skill set and the science that went behind it, and I wanted to study it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, that is reflected perfectly in your education. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of
1: science, lots of art, all mixed together.
0: Yes, and your first bachelor's was in art history, criticism, and conservation.
1: Yes, uh, it actually was at the University of Pennsylvania. They have a. I did a lot of my graduate program work was in kind of uh, multidisciplinary programs, and at University of Pennsylvania they had a program in historic preservation, which combined architecture, landscape architecture, historic preservation, which involved literally going out into falling down homes and. Mapping them and figuring out if they could be saved, if not getting enough information so that there's a record of them still around. Um, So that kind of work was really out in the middle of, you know, interesting parts of Philadelphia with literally burning cars right next to you. And it was it was it was an adventure. Um, And then I went on to um, University of Delaware, which has a program that was founded around um, the DuPont family's love for art. Uh, which was great because it was a graduate program that was free. And not only that, they paid you to go, uh, which is rare in itself. And you learned about um, the appreciation of decorative arts, which includes all the things that aren't um, really fine arts or folk art, which is chairs, glass, um, fabric, um, all those things that you live with every day and examining them through um, a lens of history and science and social change throughout history.
0: Okay, so would you say that um, your interest in the late 19th century decorative arts definitely started with that master's?
1: It really did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I focused um, more into things like silver and glass, and the glass part really came in handy when I decided to come here to Texas A&M because uh, one of the alumni, uh, a, a man by the name of Runyon uh, left a large collection of late 19th and early 20th century decorative arts, which included a lot of glass wow. and some beautiful um, earl, uh, from the same period paintings. Um, that was what he loved. That's what he collected. And he left it along with a lovely endowment um, to the university. And pretty much that w- the Forsyth galleries are the first. Um, actual collection building on campus. The Stark started earlier, okay. um, but the building wasn't ready yet. Um, so Mr. Forsyth got his, you know, money in first, uh, and pretty much that's what our collection does: is we examine that time period. Um, and we still collect. So any um, alumni out there who have that type of thing in their household and are looking to get rid of it, we're, we would love to have it. Yes, please. This is an open call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, people really – it's the sort of thing that um, people don't want the 500-piece silver set. They're like, what are we going to do with this? This takes up so much space. These huge um, you know, things that their mothers and their grandmothers appreciated to death – they're wonderful testaments to history, but they take up so much room. I mean, I have tons of it in little storage bins under every single bed in my house, under every single couch. It's cuz it just it's it's your family history, but you don't want to lose it, but you don't really need to have things like asparagus tongs because who really needs to be able to pick up individual pieces of asparagus? Right. Not not the typical American household today, but by leaving them to collections like ours you can be sure that your you know your legacy lives on and can be looked at from different perspectives as to why those existed i mean why right. were so people people so fascinated with having something to do every little thing on a table as opposed to just having a fork knife and spoon
0: right Yeah, I wanted to go a little bit into uh, that late nineteenth century decorative arts and what it actually is, because I was looking up uh, a little bit about it, it, (laughs) (laughs) and I saw that it was like visual beauty reproduced on the surface of things, of like common household items.
1: It is. I mean, it's what's in your house today. Uh, Think, look at what you have in your apartment or your house today, or and your parents, and think to yourself what that says about you. And that's what I try to look at when I see something like um, a chair from the 1950s. Why were they so crazy shaped? Um, what was going on? Why were the materials they using they were using changing and evolving over time? Um, late 19th century is great fun for me because that was also a great um, period of scientific evolution. So you look at things like... Um, some silver or some glass and the different let's say for glass colors they were coming up with new elements on the periodic table at that time period and those new elements could bring new colors to glass and everybody wanted to be beautifully bright colored and there was this rising middle class of people during that time period who all of a sudden had money and they wanted color in their house they wanted things that were beautiful they wanted to emulate the people who had the 500 place um, wonderful sterling tilt silver tea set yes a 500 piece just a tea set 500 <laughs> yes. yes um and but they could they couldn't do that but they could have maybe a 30 piece or right. even an eight piece and and maybe have it in um silver plate which was something that really started to be able to be done efficiently and cheaper so you were be able people then wanted to show their appreciation for the world and how wonderful they were by having a beautiful house that had beautiful things in it. Um, and while the definition for what is beautiful may have changed over time, if you compare a Victorian household to like a mid-century modern one, very different. Um, okay. Probably wouldn't want to mix and match, but it shows what was important to people at a particular time.
0: Yeah, I love that point about including that uh, middle class it and is. them being able to- Have. You know, yes, uh-huh, have- and decorative pieces. I mean, something well, it's
1: not just you know. It's all different cultures. You look at uh, quilts from Gee's Bend, which is a group of African American women who were sewing these fantastic, colorful quilts out of materials and scraps. And it says so much about who they are and what they valued. And it, it really can give you a window into a culture, a person, a time period that is unlike any other. Because uh, it does have both artistry and science behind it. And then it just shows what was valued by people at a particular time. It's Archaeologists do it. They look in, you know, side Ro- in Roman temples to try to figure out how those people lived. It's all that type of thing coming together. And Forsyth Gallery just looks at one particular angle of it. And what is that angle? Where, well, when I am um, up there, it really is trying to look um, due to... Museums are run by their mission. And my mission was set by Mr. Runyon. Um, it's pretty much to look at his collection and try to explain it to the community in a variety of different ways. I mean, right now up, we have a collection of, would seem like it doesn't really go with it, but um, it's photorealistic um, photo photographs from the early part of the 20th century all the way up to the mid part of the 20th century. And it's photographers who are looking at culture out on the streets real um you, you think of things um just gritty dust bowl type of photography uh, is what we're talking about here and that's kind of you know fascinating but why does it have to do with you know mr runyon's collection well uh, uh, one of the particular um bankers was a man by the main last name of Hine, and mr Hine was working for the government and trying to document um child labor And one of the places he was going into was the glass factories. And he was looking at these children working 60, 70 hours a day, often all throughout the night. Children as young as eight, averaging about 12, making 11 cents an hour uh, and in extremely dangerous conditions. conditions. Um, And he was photographing this. And we have glass that was coming out of those factories. Hmm. So it's that kind of thing that you can take that and I can show my glass, show these children working in these factories and come up with, you know, interesting story that you wouldn't think a museum could tell that has our particular mission. But it's my job to find a creative angle to bring new issues to the Mm forefront.
0: Because I think that um, definitely has impacted the political landscape. Oh, yeah. Maybe it it wasn't. A picture of, uh, that's art nowadays, but, yeah. you know, in its time, it kind of made... It was a document. Right. It,
1: and what was fascinating is that uh, Mr. Hine's photos, they're gorgeous in their awfulness, almost. Um, but it wasn't really the government or his photos or anything that really changed things. It was technology that evolved. And you started having the ability to make glass in um, really quick-fire molds that could do it better without kids. So you didn't even have to pay them. So you didn't have to pay all the people who were doing the hand blowing and things like that because it'd be done by a machine. So machines took them out of the picture. It wasn't, I mean, it was great that people were recognizing the problem and you have to recognize the problem before you can solve it. But at least, you know, it was photo documented that this happened, but it was technology that brought us out of it. So it's interesting to, you know, see how that was the solution to that particular
0: problem. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've learned so much today. Thank you so much for stopping You're by. welcome. It's great to be here. Yes. If you'd like to tell our audience the hours of Forsyth so they can come and visit.
1: Well, COVID is always an uncertain time period, um, but <laughs> we are closed on Mondays, but we're open Tuesday through Sunday. And during the week, we are open nine to eight, actually. Um, and wow. on the weekday, weekends, we are open, um, from noon to six.
0: Okay, so they have plenty of opportunities. To
1: plenty come of opportunities, and we're really nice and quiet, and we have lots of places to sit and study if you want to do that too. All right, well thank you so much. You're welcome, glad to be here, glad to see you.
0: Hello and welcome back to the KME Studio. And in the studio today we have someone that's very dear and close to my heart. Um, I have a lot of respect and admiration for this person because they were the first director for my first musical, so I am a better <laughs> actor, singer, and dancer because of her. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the studio, executive director of the theater company, Adrian Dobson. How are Hi. you today?
2: Hi, Hector. I'm so good. Thanks for having
0: me. It's a sweet intro. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming by. <laughs> All right. Well, I wanted to start off a little bit about your background. Absolutely. And where you're from, your hometown, <laughs> and where your love for theater started.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, I um, originally was born in California. That's a lesser known fact. Uh, But grew up in San Antonio. We moved there when I was about six. Uh, So grew up in San Antonio and just have always had a love for theater. Um, Watched a lot of movie musicals as kids. Um, You know, Wizard of Oz was actually a big one that I knew really well. White Christmas. um, Sister Act you know, the new classic. Um, So I always had a love for it, and I always had the opportunity to dance and sing, but I didn't really have the opportunity for theater. We saw it a lot, but I didn't really participate as a kid. Um, Came here for school in 2002, so this is my 20th year actually here.
0: Wow, you've been here for a bit.
2: For just a bit, yeah. Uh, So here in the Brazos Valley, um, and well I guess 2001 technically, Uh, but 2002 is when I found the theater. So I was looking for something to do off campus, like something that wasn't just consuming with schoolwork and everything else that you get wrapped up with on campus. Um, You know, there's a lot. Yeah, and I stumbled across an ad for The Wizard of Oz in the Eagle.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah,
2: that's a (laughs) spoiler alert. That's why we're kicking the season off with it. Um, So I saw an ad and I thought, well, this seems fun. Seems, yeah, I could meet maybe meet some new people, Um, and I went. And that was the fall of 2022. And 20 years later, this is now the third time we've done Wizard of Oz in my time here, but this is the first time I'm directing it.
0: Well, congratulations. (laughs) You've come (laughs) a long way. (laughs) Yes,
2: quite a long way from the tornado. That's how I started.
0: (laughs) Definitely. So I was looking at through your website Mm -hmm. and I saw that you started choreographing in 2003.
2: Yeah. So dancing was always probably the biggest thing that I did. I sang a lot and sang in church, uh, but dancing is what I did, you know, with school. We did it competitively. Um, After I graduated high school, I actually worked with other high school teams and some middle school teams. So dancing was, was big. And it was actually Christy Petty, who owns the village 979 and Vino Bohem downtown. uh, She's, you know, one of the, she's the first person I met at the theater company, and she was looking for some help choreographing The Secret Garden. I thought, okay, this seems like a lot, but I th- but I think I can do it. Um, so the Secret Garden was the first show that I choreographed, and then it, it went from there. So um, I've done a little bit of everything. So a little bit of that classic theater, um, a little bit of uh, you know a lot of Fosse actually. So I you know choreographed Sweet Charity, I've done Cats, uh, all sorts of things. It, that's what um, and that's honestly where I feel like I've learned the most because in the twenty years well um, since twenty sixteen or he passed away in 2016, but I worked with Randy Wilson, our the, our previous director, from the moment I walked into the theater. And so with being able to choreograph with him and learn from him, um, that's, I mean, basically how I learned everything that I know.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so I kind of want to segue a little bit into, like, theater, mm-hmm. you know, in the world of theater. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you think theater affects an individual or how it affects an individual? Because uh. I know in my case... Um, it's like taught me how to be a lot more confident, like yeah, in front of people in general, and just be more much more confident in my own decisions. Even mm-hmm. like yeah, so what do you what would you say to that question?
2: Well, I I see it in, in two ways. I see it as um like the kids that we have growing up in the theater, and then I see it as adults because you're right. It for both, um, for everyone, it does give you more confidence. It gives you more um, just a little bit of stability, um, but it also teaches you all sorts of things like teamwork, you know, where else do you walk into a building and you have to get along with um, people ages like six to 60 because they're all there and we're all working towards the same thing. Um, but with kids specifically, you know, I've seen a lot of kids come in, walk up on stage for their first audition terrified. Mm-hmm. They start crying, they forget the words or maybe Been they there. just leave. <laughs> yeah, no, it happens. It mm-hmm. all happens. Um, but then watching them kind of slowly transform and feel um worthy of being up on stage and mm-hmm. worthy of doing these things because they are you just have to you know go for it um but i've seen some really incredible transformations with kids that have shown up shy um you know scared to interact with people uh, don't have a lot of friends and then looking at how they've grown up and now they're you know off doing these amazing things in college continuing continuing to perform that's pretty amazing yeah. and then for adults it's like a it's a totally different thing because we have people that show up in college um mm-hmm. you know looking for something to do that's like a little more fulfilling than schoolwork. but then you see adults that are n- you know needing a community yeah. and i saw that a lot during covid because when we started coming out of it we had so many new people showing up you for one of yes. them we had Addie show up during um James and the Giant Peach, who was also in Willy Wonka, we've had these amazing adults show up because I think that they realized in COVID, when we were all so separated, that you need community. And not just The friends that you have to see all the time because you work with them or whatever, but like chosen family and chosen people, and it's really amazing to see people show up, look around, and say like, "Oh, okay, this this is good. These are my people." This
0: feels nice. Yeah, this is home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed that it was definitely a big sense of community when Mm -hmm. we were there. Um, I mean, it was just so fun. Interacting with the kids, man, they're so funny.
2: (laughs) That was a great one, yeah. Yeah. Willy Wonka was really special. Little Parker, just the cutest little Charlie Bucket there ever was. So talented. I know. So
0: talented. Um, Okay, and theater itself, I feel like, is a little more woman-dominated, would you say? Man, it does, I, you would look
2: at our theater and feel that way, but mm-hmm. that's not the case. It's not.
0: Okay, what's your yeah. personal experience? With- well,
2: my personal experience is, you know, working with Randy, but then also just at this point, now I have a lot of amazing connections with theaters in um, the Houston area, Dallas, Austin. Um, mm-hmm. We have some great friends in Victoria. We've started really reaching out to other theaters, um, and it's it's men. It's a whole lot of yeah. men. Mm-hmm. And so um, the past couple of shows... Uh, We've actually looked around at our production team and saw, okay, wait, female director, female choreographer, female costumer, female set designer. Like we're seeing that in our space specifically, but outside of it, that's not always the case. Um, And I think, and I don't, I know it's not the same as like the movie industry where that's just the given and it's, it's a slow, slow evolution. I think with theater, it is more open to not just, you know, gender but i mean anyone walking in the door and if you do the work and deserve to be here you can be here but Mm -hmm. i think there's still you're still seeing that concerted effort to open the door more um for race for gender for everything so that everyone feels welcome and it's not just a male dominated or a female dominated anyone can walk in the door now
0: Yeah, it definitely starts the conversation i would say especially in our community (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Okay, so now we can kind of talk a little bit about TTC, yeah. the theater company. Um, so for someone that uh, is, doesn't know anything about the theater company and wants to get involved, uh, what's the audition yeah. process? What, what What's that like?
2: So for performing, it's it's actually pretty easy. You just show up. <laughs> um, so what we, do, what we did this time that I think worked really well, and it was also in an effort to keep people safe and not have a huge group of people there at the same time, is people signed up for time slots for auditions. Oh. So our next auditions are going to be for The Frogs, which is a great show by Stephen Sondheim. Those auditions are February 22nd and 23rd. Essentially, on our website, we'll have a list of like all the different characters, what the tentative rehearsal schedule would be, and you just sign up. And we'll let you know when to show up, so that way you're just showing up with a handful of people. Um, It's not high pressure. It's not some big like American Idol moment. Like you show up, there's just the you know production team there. You sing your song, and then the next day we kind of have callbacks and go from there. Um, But if it's people are interested in maybe just not being on stage, because obviously not everyone wants to be on stage, um, just let us know. So you can uh, email us at the website. You can find us on Facebook. But we're always looking for people who are musicians, are painters, designers, costumers. If you're interested in tech, like lighting and set and, you know, uh, we're working with projections with Wizard of Oz. So if you have any of that stuff that you feel like you just want to participate in, just let us know because there's so there's so much to do.
0: Yeah, well, you heard it here. (laughs) If you want to get involved, go ahead and do it. I know in my experience, um, the audition process was a lot less daunting than I had made it seem in my own head. (laughs) Yeah, it did feel like everyone was kind of rooting for you to do. well. Yes. Yes. I I love that. Yeah, that was great.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a that's something I think that we can be really proud of is that like, yes, there's a level of, of competitiveness, especially if you especially if you've been around and you maybe know, okay, well, I know these other people are coming, so this is going to be interesting. Yes, a little
0: cutthroat sometimes. Exactly, (laughs)
2: but you also know that everybody in that space is literally just wanting you to do your best. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Great, so um, I guess a little like fun question would Mm -hmm. be, um, do you have any, like? I know theater is live, so anything can happen on stage. (laughs) Any embarrassing stories that you might have?
2: Oh my gosh, probably so many. Um, I can think of one off the top of my head, and that um, was just because I was thinking about the show recently and how to succeed in business without really trying, I was like a cameo character with my friend. And um, we had friends in the front row that as soon as we came out, because we were meant to be like old cleaning ladies. And so we had cigarettes hanging out of our mouth. We had these terrible wigs just looking a mess. So we come out and we have this little transition dialogue as they're changing the set. And our friends in the front row were laughing so hard that we did not hear each other say our lines so we just continue to stare at each other waiting for the other one to speak when who even knows Um, I will also never forget uh, uh, singing in the rain Uh, This didn't didn't necessarily happen to me, but it caused a whole series of events. Um, You know, you have to make it rain on stage. That's the act one finale is singing in the rain. Um, What we didn't know is that our set designer had done another coat of paint on the stage right before. um, This wasn't opening night. It was preview night. So it was like the Thursday when we invited, you know, friends, some people from, you know, the press. And it starts raining on the stage. And she had painted the floor with a semi-gloss paint. Which, if it's, mm-hmm. and it was still like a t- teensy bit tacky. And if you have tacky paint that is a semi gloss paint and you add water, Oh, no. You have an oil slick in oh, front no. of you. So our poor, um, you know, Gene Kelly, uh, Don Lockwood, that's the character's name, who was also like, he's like 6'2". He's a very, very tall man. He's got his umbrella. He's got his tap shoes on. He's ready to go. And I'm singing. In the tr- and he could not stay upright. It was, I mean, he couldn't stay up. Oh, and no. at intermission, people went out with sandpaper, you know, towels, everything, tried to mop it up. But, I mean, the damage was done. So the entire second act was everyone just slipping and sliding.
0: Across trying the to stay stage. Up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's that's the fun part about theater. I mean, anything can happen. <laughs> and you just learn so much about yourself. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you so uh, much for stopping by, for helping us out on the first course. episode of this show. This is the
2: first one. That's yes, exciting. Very,
0: very. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully we get to see you soon of again. Of course.
2: Yeah. All thanks right. for having me. Thank you. <laughs>
0: All right, you guys, well, we are nearing the end of our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for the two guests that were here, Liz Appleby and Adrian Dobson. Thank you so much once again uh, for helping me out on this first episode. Make sure you tune in next week for episode two. See you then.